I'm Jesse Thorne. Ronnie Spector loved Christmas as a little girl, but she wasn't going on sleigh rides through the snow. She was a city kid, and she had a question that pretty much every Christmas-celebrating city kid has. So I asked my father, I said, we don't have a chimney. Where's Santa? How is he going to get here? I was so upset and frustrated. And he said, Ronnie, Santa is coming down the fire escape. I was so happy, Jesse. I ran to my room. I put the covers over my head and I fell fast asleep. From MaximumFun.org and NPR, it's Bullseye. This week, Ronnie Spector, Jane Lynch, and singer-songwriter Cy Smith. It's a cavalcade of holiday musical talent. That's all coming up on the Bullseye Holiday Spectacular. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. First up on this year's Bullseye Holiday Spectacular, the legendary Ronnie Spector. Ronnie and her girl group, the Ronettes, were the centerpiece of the Phil Spector Wall of Sound of the 1960s. Their huge hit, Be My Baby, still gets airplay on oldies stations. Ronnie was a teenager when she started recording, and the only thing bigger than her ambition was her hair. The Ronettes recorded some of the most iconic Christmas music ever made in 1963. The album was A Christmas Gift to You from Phil Spector. been a few decades, but Ronnie's love for Christmas hasn't faded one bit. When I spoke to her in 2010, she'd just recorded a new album of Christmas songs. That album is called Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever. Ronnie Spector, welcome to Bullseye. Hi, Jesse. It's great being here. (laughs) And I love Christmas. What were the things that you did special at Christmas uh, uh, growing up in, in Manhattan? Oh, gosh. I, well, first of all, I always went to Radio City to watch the ice skating rink. And my father would always take me and my sister to see them put up the tree when they lit it, you know, uh, at Radio City. Sure. So we did so, so many things like that. Um, and just getting Christmas ready at the house. I remember my father, because we lived in an apartment, and he used to take the tree and drag it down the hall. That's when I knew it was really Christmas. Now, you had uh, you just had one sister in the house who, who later joined you in the Ronettes. But yes. I, I know you had a very large extended family, like dozens of cousins. <laughs> yeah. 23, like, first cousins. It was amazing. Um, well, my, you know why, Jesse? My mom had six sisters and seven brothers. Wow. So that's why I had so many first cousins and stuff. And they were my first audience. My seven uncles and my six aunts. These were my audience, and they applauded me every Sunday at my grandmother's house. And that's when I said, I can do this, and I'm only, like, seven years old. Was, was singing part of your Christmases as a kid? Of course. That was how it all started. I was like six years old, and I remember my mother taking—well, my mother was a waitress, 
you know, and she stood up on her feet all day, and I just had to go sit on Santa's lap. So my mother took me to Macy's, <laughs> and I felt so bad as I grew older to remember, wow, my mother stood up on her feet all day as a waitress, and then she took me to see Santa Claus at Macy's, and we had to stand online for like two hours. And I said, Mom, I can't go. And she would say, Honey, I'm so tired. I said, But Mom, if I don't sit on Santa's lap, I'm going to be crazy this Christmas. She said, Okay, Ronnie, okay. Or Veronica is what they called me back then. And uh, I sat on Santa's lap, and that was when I fell in love with Christmas, with Santa, with Frosty, with the tree, everything. I mean, that's when it started, sitting on Santa's lap at Macy's. Why don't we hear a little bit of your classic Christmas recording of Frosty the Snowman, uh, Ronnie Spector and the Ronettes. Yes. Frosty the Snowman So how old were you when you first went up on stage at Amateur Night at the Apollo? Oh, I was like 11, <laughs> 12, something like way in that age. Tell, tell me about that, that first time that you performed at the, uh, at the Apollo. Do you remember it? Oh, God, like it was yesterday. It was my first show ever, you know, professional show. And I remember uh, it was Nedra, myself, Estelle, and two, another cousin, and my cousin Ira, which is a boy cousin, because back then they had Frankie Lyman, the students, Frankie Valley, you know, all these guy singers. So I said to my cousin Ira, I said, maybe you should sing lead. So we go out there to amateur night. I'll never, ever forget. My cousin Ira has a microphone in his hand, and nothing comes out. <laughs> I was petrified. So I grabbed the mic from him and I started singing, Why do birds sing? You know, the Frankie Lyman song. So I started, and the audience went nuts for me. So for me, you know, it was like I was passing because they didn't know what we were, but they loved me. And I said, Oh my God, if I can pass at the Apollo, they'll love me all over the world. And I was very young, you know, to have all these kind of feelings about touring all over the world. And my mother would always say, don't get too excited. This is show business we're talking about. You don't know if you're going to make a hit record. You don't know anything. But I did know I loved the stage, and I got it from a very early age. You and your sister and cousin had this uh, outrageous uh, look um, <laughs> in, in, the, in that beginning of your career. I wonder how long it took uh, for you to, and what you had to do to get your hair as high as it was when you uh, were on stage. I was watching some film clips, and I was very impressed <laughs> at the sheer, uh, the sheer height of, of what was on top of your head. Well, I'll tell you what we had to do. First of all, you had to tease it a lot and use a lot of Aquanet hairspray. That's what we used in the 60s, Aquanet. Then you wind it around your hair. Then you twit it again, and then you uh, tease it again. We had a lot of hair. 
I guess it was for, you know, because of our background and stuff. <laughs> That's what I said about me and Keith Richards. If, <laughs> if we had married and had kids, we would have great, our kids would have great hair. <laughs> I always say that to Keith. <laughs> I'm Jesse Thorne. This is Bullseye. I'm talking with singer Ronnie Spector. When we spoke in 2010, she had just released an album called Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever. Merry, 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 merry Christmas time. I hope you've been thinking of me. I'm right where I want to be. What you say? Hey. Merry, 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 merry Christmas time. Another log on the fire Satisfy your heart desire Take it high, high, high Build three houses in this time Together So the height of your career was this really transitional time in popular music. It was this time when... Um, doo-wop and that kind of thing was on the way out and yes. uh, really harder rock and roll was on the way in mm-hmm. and uh, you and your contemporaries were sort of bridging that gap between those two things. Right. And one of the ways that you bridged that gap was by having these like actual personal relationships with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> Tell me about how you first met the Beatles. Okay. Well, first of all, the Beatles hadn't come to America yet, so they weren't even known in America. And when we were over in England, we were like on front pages of every paper there. So the uh, the Beatles wanted to see, the, uh, Decca Records gave us a party, because that's what was our label over there. So Decca Records gave us a party, and guess who showed up? The Beatles. <laughs> and John Lennon was with cockeye over me, and uh, he took me in this back room at Deco Records, and I almost had to use a whip to get that guy out of the room, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I met all of them, I love them all, I love the Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stones were my opening act in, in England, so I knew them real good, <laughs> we used to travel on the tour bus together, and Keith and I would go, and when it got too foggy and stuff in London, we would pull over, the bus would pull over, and Keith and I would get out and knock on doors, and, and they were so nice. They would open the door, and I would say, hi, I'm Ronnie, Ronnie of the Ronettes, and Keith would say, I'm Keith of the Rolling Stones. They let us in. They give us stones and tea and everything, <laughs> and we take it out to the bus and give Mick some and the other guys, you know, Brian. I mean, everything. I knew those guys better than I knew the American groups. Were your folks still on board for the whole rock and roll star thing <laughs> oh, when they saw yes. that slit in the side of your skirt? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, my mother toured with us everywhere we went, even the Apollo Theater overseas in England. She was with us every step of the way. Because she told me once, she said, if you sit on a guy's lap and you feel something hard, get up and run. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I, sat, I was sitting on John Lennon's lap at the plaza and um, I felt something getting hard. And I got up and ran. And that's a true story. <laughs> and he called me the next day. He was so uh, embarrassed like by it. He said, we want to get out of here. We're like prisoners in this plaza. You got to get us out of here, Ronnie. I said, I can take you up to Harlem to get some uh, ribs and chicken. They said, we'd love it. So I got him out of there, took him up to Harlem. We had a blast. Nobody recognized them. 
and it was great. They loved it because nobody recognized them. When did you become aware of what a sort of holiday icon that uh, uh, that Phil Spector Christmas record uh, made you and your contemporaries? When did you start to feel that these songs were going to be more than just um, more than just what a Christmas record usually is, which is um, you know just a way to uh, yeah. uh, sell a couple hundred thousand records for uh, uh, <laughs> for a hit band? You know what I mean? Well, I tell you one thing: uh, Phil Spector was Jewish. He didn't know anything about Christmas, so he'd come <laughs> to my house and tell, ask me what. That's why I sang. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. He'd say, "What did your mother and father do when you were a little girl?" And so all my songs and Frosty the Snowman and Sleigh Ride. I loved slaying so. My everything that's on that album of my stuff was actually done from my own words to Phil, and that's how he got. He didn't even think about Christmas because, I, like I said, he was Jewish. So I uh, I got him really into Christmas. That's how he made that. Uh, it's a Christmas gift for you. Let's hear Ronnie Spector and the Ronettes singing. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Okay. Mwah. My wife has, uh, like you, dozens of cousins, <laughs> and they have this Christmas Eve party every year at her grandparents' house. Yes, with literally like forty <laughs> direct relations all <laughs> celebrating Christmas together. And I, I wonder if you if you had any uh, Christmas traditions like that with your huge extended family. Oh, of course. I mean, I remember my grandmother and all her kids. You know, which were my aunts and uncles. Um, they lived on 140th Street in New York, and I lived 151st Street in New York. So every, every Christmas we used to go to my grandmother's house, and all my aunts, I remember one aunt li- loved cigarettes. So I'd buy her cigarettes. Of course, my mother would buy them. I was only like seven or eight. My mother would buy the cigarettes and put them in a Christmas pack, you know, because they were square, so you, it was easy to wrap. And another aunt loved uh, Sherman's Barbecue on 151st Street. So I did the same thing. They'd wrap it up in tinfoil, and then I'd put uh, Christmas wrappings on it. I did things <laughs> like that for all my aunts and uncles and cousins, and I was the star of the whole family. <laughs> I, I like the idea of the, the traditional Christmas gifts being uh, a pack of cigarettes for right. one aunt and some Sherman's barbecue. barbecue, isn't that something? <laughs> but they wrapped it good and stuff, so it wasn't like, when I say barbecue to other people, they say, what? What kind of present is that? I said, well, that's what they wanted. And we didn't grow up in a very, uh, you know, rich family or even uh, middle class. You know, we lived in Spanish Harlem. So all those things were very necessary. And my aunts and uncles loved everything I did. We'll finish up with Ronnie Spector in just a minute. When we return from the break, I'll talk with her about what it was like working with Joey Ramone, one of her biggest fans. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Odoo. 
Is your old software making it impossible to keep up with demand? Then it's time to switch to Odoo. Odoo is a suite of business applications designed to streamline, automate, and simplify any company. Odoo has apps for everything. CRM, inventory, manufacturing, sales, accounting, you name it, Odoo's got you covered. So stop wasting time and start getting stuff done with Odoo. For a free trial, go to odoo.com slash bullseye. Welcome back to the Bullseye Holiday Spectacular. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Ronnie Spector. She fronted the Ronettes, one of the biggest girl groups in history. She's also a lover of Christmas music. When we talked in 2010, she'd just released an album, Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever. Before we get back into our conversation, let's hear Ronnie's latest Christmas song, a collaboration with L. King called Under the Mistletoe. I went really deep into your uh, catalog when I was preparing for this interview. Yes. And um, I, I really loved listening to uh, a, a, couple of, a couple of songs that you recorded in the 70s. One of them was, um, was this song called Try Some, Buy Some that you recorded for Apple Records. Yes, with George Harrison. Tell me how you ended up not just uh, being pals with the Beatles, but recording with them. Well, it was very simple. They said, we want Ronnie Spector's voice on Apple Records. And um, my ex-husband took me over to England. We got over there, and I get into the studio. There's one person in there, and his hair was long, so I couldn't really see who it was. And I got up, and he was sitting at the piano, and he looked up, and it was George Harrison. And we hugged and kissed. Well, not that kind of kissing, but, you know, <laughs> hugged and kissed and everything. And it was so great. And he wrote, try some, buy some for me right there on the spot, and we did that song, and um, then I went back to California to be with my uh, adopted children. Let's, let's hear Try Some, Buy Some from uh, the early 1970s, a yeah, song written, written by George Harrison, performed by Ronnie Spector. Way back in time, someone said try some, I tried some, now buy some, I bought some, whoa, whoa. Also recorded in uh, the 1990s with uh, Joey Ramone of the Ramones. Oh yes, um, love Joey. How did you How did you first meet him? Well, I had met Joey um, like a few years before we recorded and stuff. We'd always meet at this place called the Continental down on Eighth Street, 
And then we got to talking one night. So he said, Ronnie, I would love to record. You have, you're my favorite female singer. So he said, we got to make a record together. And at the time, I didn't know Joey was sick. You know, I didn't have any clue. And then we would go over to Daniel Ray's house, his best friend, which lived a block from him. And that's when he would bring his lunch. We did uh, like four uh, EP and everything. And I had no idea. We did this one song called Memory. You know, and it was like telling me he will only be a memory in, in the near future. And I had no idea that he was dying and stuff. And it devastated me when I couldn't go and see him in the hospital that very last time. He said, I don't want Ronnie to see me like this. So I didn't see him the very last time. And it broke my heart. He broke, He was the nicest guy. And he was so, um, sorry, genuine. You know, he loved rock and roll. Woke up thinking about you today Why does it have to be this way? We drove each other crazy Bye-bye, baby, bye-bye, baby Well, I guess it's over and it's done We had some good times, we had fun We drove each other crazy I'll always love you Bye, bye, baby Baby, bye, bye Bye, bye, baby Don't you cry Bye, bye, baby Had you heard his records when you first met him? Oh, yes, of course. What did you think of them? I mean, it's 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 something that they're they're so deeply rooted in the music that you made, but they're also so completely different. Well, that's what I liked about them: the fact that they were like me and they liked my music, but they were different from me. That's just like the Beatles and the Stones. We were all so different. It's the little Ronnie sitting in the middle of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and then I come to New York and I've got Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen, and Joey Ramone and the Ramones. So I, I've been surrounded by people that love my voice. Thank God. <laughs> what do you enjoy most about um, being a music performer? I love being in the recording studio because it brings me to the stage with new material, and of course I sing all my old songs, but. It's nothing like doing something new and fresh and, you know, like the new CD. It has all my songs on the originals. And, you know, Sleigh Ride and Frosty, all those records were like Irving Berlin and stuff. But my stuff that I did now is like stuff that is original, and I love that. Merry voices raised and singing carols through the streets are ringing all because it's Christmas once again Ronnie Spector from 2010 just after the release of her album Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever what a legend.
Even more of the Bullseye Holiday Special still to come. We've got Cy Smith and Jane Lynch on the docket. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Airbnb. If you've ever thought about hosting, you might have a few questions. What's it like? Where do I store my stuff? Is hosting worth it? Now, with Ask a Superhost, you can get free one-on-one help from Airbnb's most experienced hosts. Whether you're curious how to get started or just wondering if it's right for you, you can now ask someone who's already hosting. Learn more at airbnb.com slash askasuperhost. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Travel Anderson. And I'm Jared Hill. We are the hosts of Fanti, the show where we have complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the things that we really, really love sometimes, but also have some problematic feelings about. Yes, we get into it all. You want to know our thoughts about Nicki Minaj and all her foolishness? We got you. You want to know our thoughts about gentrification and perhaps some positive question mark Uh-oh. aspects of gentrification we get into that too every single thursday you can check us out at maximumfun.org listen you know you want it honey so come on and get it <laughs> period it's the bullseye holiday spectacular i'm jesse thorne time now for a special holiday edition of our segment the song that changed my life It's a chance for musicians, artists, and other creators to tell us about the music that made them who they are. Next up is Cy Smith. Cy Smith is a singer, songwriter, and producer who lives out here in Los Angeles. She's been recording soul records for over a decade, and she's collaborated with folks like Kamasi Washington and Thundercat. She's also an incredibly talented backup singer. Name a great, and she's sung with them from Sheila E. to Shaka Khan, Usher, and Whitney Houston. When Cy Smith and I talked in 2019, she just dropped a fun seasonal EP called Christmas in Cyberspace. Cyberspace with an S, by the way, as in Cy Smith. When she and I talked about this album and about whether any of the songs on it had a good story, she brought up My Favorite Things. And boy, did she not let us down. So let's not waste any more time before we get into it. Here's Cy Smith. The first time I heard My Favorite Things was in the movie The Sound of Music, of course. Raindrops on Roses. 
and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. I think the first time I saw The Sound of Music, I was about six or seven years old. I was in my mother's bedroom watching it on TV uh, in our apartment in Hillcrest Heights, Maryland. Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things. You know, that melody caught my ear because it was such a distinct melody. Um, as a child, that melody just sounded like a dance to me. It just sounded like... It just sounded like a dance. <laughs> if a dance could sing, that's what it would sound like. These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so even on paper, when you look at it, it looks like a dance, you know. Um, and the things that she was singing about were quite abstract to me, you know, cream-colored ponies. And, you know, like, I, I didn't know anything that she was talking about. I didn't know what a schnitzel was. But that melody made me want to know, you know. So the next time that I heard my favorite things, and it really sort of changed my life, was when um, I might have been about eight or nine. I had an aunt, my aunt Bobby, in Teaneck, New Jersey. She had a little radio in the kitchen, and the Coltrane version came on the radio. I didn't recognize it as my favorite things, but she began singing it on top of the Coltrane version. And that's when it sort of resonated with me. That's when I went, wait, that's that song from the movie. I hadn't seen the movie repeatedly, so I didn't walk around singing the soundtrack of, you know, The Sound of Music. But when she sang it, it just reminded me of that song. And all of a sudden, I don't know, like it made sense to me. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, all of those sort of abstract concepts made sense. Like, oh, wow, I can just think of something that I really like and anything that's frightening me will go away. I wasn't listening to jazz at all when I was a kid. And that was the thing. When she started singing this on top of this, it made all of a sudden jazz accessible to me. I think at that point, jazz was just sort of, you know, music that that older people listened to. It wasn't something that I would go and put on the record player, you know. But when she started singing it, I was like, oh, jazz is something that you can sing along to. Jazz is something that, you know, you can sort of interpret songs that you already know. Jazz is a 
can be a template. That that was sort of a new understanding for me. Like it was all so it was a discovery. Everything about that song made me curious. The melody made me curious. When I started listening to really what those words were, that made me want to sort of embrace my own writing a little more. And so often I would replace those lyrics with my own long before I did this, you know, my current project. I would always just sort of make up my own lyrics in that same pattern because I thought it would be cool to sing something that really resonated with me, things that re really were my favorite things, you know. Jumping on something, swinging on playgrounds, da -da 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 -da, hanging around. Like, it was probably really silly like that. <laughs> there was always something like that, things that I really like to do. So yeah, when I decided to do a Christmas project, I knew I wanted to record my favorite things. That had been on my mind for 20 years. These are a few of my favorite things. To finally sit down and record this song, it was the easiest thing to me because I felt like I've been thinking about this for so long. So it didn't take me long to sort of even rewriting the lyrics. That was like... I did it in the car on the way to the studio. She's with fat laces and oversized glasses. Watching my people rise up from the ashes. Sharing a smile with that guy on the tree. And I didn't have to think too hard because I think those items had been sort of running around my head on and off for the last 20 years. It, you know, whenever I sing this melody, I just immediately am transported back to my childhood. That just because the melody, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein, they just created something so beautiful with that lilting melody. It just lilts like a, like, I don't know, what lilts in nature? You know, <laughs> it just, it, look, it sounds like, a stick figure just sort of becoming curvy all of a sudden. You know what I mean? It just sounds like air all of a sudden becoming a form. You know? It sounds like magic. And I and so when you sit at the piano and sing this, it's it's just liberating. It's it's just a lot of fun. I can't describe it any other way. Knowing you can't keep a good woman down.
Cy Smith on the song that changed her life, My Favorite Things. Cy's Christmas record is called Christmas in Cyberspace. You can buy it or stream it now. If you live in New York, you can see Cy Smith live. She's performing at the Blue Note with the trumpeter Chris Bodie, now through December 19th, and again December 30th and 31st. It's the Bullseye Holiday Spectacular. I'm Jesse Thorne. When you watch Jane Lynch, you know you're in for something funny. She's great in every single Christopher Guest movie, of course. Hilarious in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. She was the breakout star of Glee. More recently, her cameo on Only Murders in the Building was brilliant. But you might not know that she can sing, too. For years now, Jane has sung original swing tunes and standards all over the country with a full band and everything. When I talked with Jane Lynch in 2016, she and her band had just recorded their first Christmas record. It's called A Swingin' Little Christmas. Here's the title track. A swingin' little Christmas time We're gonna be wrapping up your present with the big shiny bow You won't wanna miss a single minute, don't be late for the show There's gonna be gingerbread and toddies and the band's gonna blow A swingin' little Christmas time Jane Lynch, welcome to the Bullseye Holiday Special. It's great to see you. Oh, it's so great to see you, too. Thanks. You're really singing your butt off on this record. Yeah, as I'm listening to it going, where did we breathe? Because we're performing that live now going like this. (laughs) I like that you took your celebrity from Glee. Yeah. And I think the last time we spoke, the celebrity from Glee had just, was just Just blossoming. Yes, indeed. It had just just pierced through the uh, ground. You had just gone from like 20 years as a working actor Mm -hmm. to famous person uh, completely by surprise. Yes, exactly. And I'm glad I, I'm glad that you took your uh, your fame and financial security and decided to launch a cabaret act. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> like yeah. it's clear that the whole time you were just like, if I can just get on stage and sing. Yeah, that's exactly the reason for the whole trajectory. Now I will do a cabaret show. <laughs> Was it precipitated by all, all the volume of singing that uh, was going on on Glee or from being on Broadway? That was like one of the yeah, first probably. things you did. It's probably the Broadway thing. I mean, and the Glee thing, too, um, probably started it. But I, I've always loved singing. I've done um, been in sketch comedy shows since, you know, my my late 20s. And we always do a silly little musical number. And we were usually quite musically good, but it was funny. And then, of course, Annie as well, doing Annie on Broadway. I don't always enjoy watching uh, musical theater particularly. Mm-hmm. I have to admit. One of those. Okay. I'm Whatever. not against it. I, I'm not against it. Good. I just don't... It, it, has to, it has to really work for it to work for me as an audience member. I get you, yeah. But mm-hmm. if you said to me right now, here's a part in a musical, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> All later, over it. I can't sing. I can't dance. <laughs> but it is fun. It's so much fun. It, the Doing Annie was like I got bitten by the theater bug again. I hadn't been on stage in a very, very long time. And uh, I I was up there with all these people and we all loved each other and we all had little, you know, inside jokes and we'd look at each other and ha ha ha. And we all hated the children. And <laughs> it was really fun. We didn't hate the children. They were great kids. Um, that's kind of led 
directly to uh, 54 Below, which is a cabaret space in New York, asking me if I wanted <clears throat> four nights to do my act, which I didn't have. Most Broadway people have an act. So I grabbed Kate Flannery, who was Meredith the Drunk in the office, and said, let's do a show. And it led to this thing, that record you just played. Kate Flannery does have an act. Kate Flannery yes, is a great a great mm-hmm. singer, sings with a comedy Amazing group singer. called The Lampshades. Mm-hmm. When you agreed to have a cabaret act, was it a daunting prospect? Oh. Yeah, it was like, what What am I doing? I don't know how to do this. And um, I knew, but it was something I wanted to do. There was something stronger inside of me screaming yes than the than the pretty loud voice saying no. So I said yes. And, of course, I, I called Kate right away. We've been singing on and off together for a long time. And um, uh, so we, we knew, you know, she's a legit singer. She's a legit yeah, she's she can throwback. really blow, yeah. Yeah, and she's a throwback. She can sing like the you know the 40s, 50s and early 60s, which this Christmas album is basically a retro album of that period and it's one of my favorite too. So I brought Kate along and she and then I hear people like cracking up as I'm singing this song and I look back and she is the shenanigans <laughs> just and so thus was born kind of Kind of a, a, a heighten and explore of what was already our dynamic, which is kind of an Eve Arden, Kay Ballard kind of thing, where Eve Arden is the tall, like, disapproving one, and Kay Ballard's the loud, you know, wacky Italian, even though Kate is Irish. I mean, one of the things about singing on stage, mm-hmm. and singing in general, mm-hmm. is that it requires shamelessness in a way that even comedy doesn't necessarily like you have to yes i see what you mean you can't sing on stage without putting all of yourself into it there's no holding back and if you are you they can tell yeah anybody can tell you can feel it um yeah you know i remember that i saw a picture of myself and i was holding the mic and my eyes were closed and i was my head was back and i was like wow you really think you're a singer it's really exposing it's almost like dancing in a way too it's almost like you take all of your clothes off and you say, check this out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a nude kind of a thing. Do you like Christmas music? I do, yeah. I haven't for a while, though. I will be perfectly honest. Um, you, like, took a break from liking it? Yeah, but as an adult. I used to love it as a kid. I had this thing about wanting to get the Christmas spirit when I was a kid, and I used to dim the lights and turn on the Christmas tree and turn on the music and sit there and wait for it to come, and then, you know, it wouldn't come. And so I kind of got turned off by it, and I think Christmas is, goes on far too long, says the woman who started pushing her album November 1st. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, still, I'm still impressed by this Christmas seance that you're holding. <laughs> like it sounds like you're like a, you're like Lenny Kravitz's producer and you're like trying yes, to get right. the studio ready for Lenny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Turn on the lights. Let's burn some incense. I was trying to get the Christmas spirit. Put some scarves on the lamps. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What did you think Christmas was supposed to be that you weren't getting as a kid? This magical thing where you're filled with joy. It's what we chase when we have a beer. Um, when I get my coffee in the morning, we're chasing that thing, you know, that place of bliss. You you grew up in the Midwest, right? I do. Yeah, Chicago. So it was it was like a snowy. snowy like Chicago yeah. is sort of a Christmas place. It is. It, no one does Christmas like Chicago. I've been saying that in all the interviews lately. It but might it's just true. be. It might just be because I watch Home Alone a lot as a kid. That I believe that <laughs> it is. But, it's a beautiful. It, the city really does it up. And I'm from the suburbs, and we did it up too. What did you? Uh, think Christmas could be like what was the thing that you imagined that you were trying to achieve oh it's it's the whole that's the thing when the Grinch's heart gets bigger 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 and then almost explodes or does it explode I'm trying to remember and it's what happens to um, Ebenezer Scrooge Merry Christmas you know it's that thing where your heart just fills with joy 
And there's nothing worse than December 26th when all the lights are still up. It didn't happen. The joy didn't happen. And as an adult, I just didn't even bother putting this stuff up. I was like, oh, this is crazy. So this is kind of my reentry as a sane adult individual into the beauty of this music and the beauty of what this season, which we should have, you know, 24-7. We'll finish up with Jane Lynch in just a minute. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to BetterHelp.com Bullseye. You're in the theater. The lights go down. You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she stand up to her? Oh, good God, do I need to stand up to my own mother? We never know when we'll see ourselves in a movie, but that search for recognition is exactly what we're going to talk about on the podcast Feeling Seen with me, Jordan Cruciola. Each episode, we'll bring in a guest to talk about the films that they see themselves in and also the ways that movies have fallen short. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Scene podcast here on Maximum Fun or wherever you find your podcasts. You're listening to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is actor and singer Jane Lynch. You know, you were you were on the show years and years ago, um, like I don't something like six years ago or something like that. And um, at the time, uh, you had just become both a famous person and a famous gay person. <laughs> we talked about your coming out, which involved basically people noticing that you had never been in the closet, yeah, right. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And um, I, I've just been curious, like, how do you feel about this f- five years of being a f- famous gay person with yeah. capital letters at the beginning of each word? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I feel like your celebrity, in a way, was part of a real turning point in the way that public culture. I agree. Yeah. Addresses uh homosexuality LGBTQ issues generally. Mhm. You were one of the first people to become a legit famous person who wasn't required to have the press conference? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Ellen really took one for the team. Yeah. You know, she um it became a big deal. America loved her and then found out she was gay and and so she was she was obliged to i don't know if she want i know she didn't i mean i don't know this for a fact but i can't imagine she would have wanted to have that ellen episode where i'm coming out um the the tv show so i was the beneficiary for sure cuz i don't i don't know that i would have had the um 
the courage. I had a lot of shame about my sexuality when I was younger. And if I thought that I was going to have to like say, yeah, I'm an actress, but I'm gay. Oh, I, I would that would have scared the hell out of me. So, you know, this this path was kind of paved um, people like Rosie and they came through with a machete and I just walked walked through the the, the jungle unmolested <laughs> did um how much younger are we talking about did you have a lot of shame I guess I'm wondering like um I guess I'm wondering if partly like the surprise that happened when you became uh like a public person rather than just a working entertainer mm-hmm. um it was like well I got to be the person I am because there's not another choice now. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of it. And also I, I felt safe. I felt safe in my own self about it. And I felt, you know, safe in the world. So I wasn't um, I wasn't concerned about hiding anything or, or, or you know, standing up and, you know, having a press conference that probably nobody would attend. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Christmas. Do you have fond Christmas memories or are all your Christmas memories about failing to achieve the state of, of Christmas? That... There are a lot of them about failing to achieve. Let's see. As I got older, um, you know, and I, when I was living as an adult in Chicago and I would have to go back to – it just wasn't anything. It was a non-event. You know, I'd have to go back to the suburbs to have – and it was – I, I certainly didn't decorate my house or anything like that. I still don't. Um I leave that to my sister who, like, creates a Christmas village <laughs> in her home. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't have that. But I, I must say I enjoy it, but just for those four or five days. And then, like I said, December 26th, it, I'm, I'm home and it's over and it's behind me. And I don't want to hear the music. And this is terrible. A person who just released a Christmas album, I don't want to hear it for more than, like, a week. Right. Um, but maybe now it will be different that I love this album so much. What was the composition of your family when you were a kid? Were your folks together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was your extended family around? Like, yeah, was oh, Christmas yeah. a time when everybody was there? Yes, I'll give you some great memories. When I was in high school, um, I have an older sister, a younger brother, and we were all in high school at the same time. Uh, and um, my parents loved to sing. My dad was a harmonizer, and my mom would do the melody, and we loved Christmas carols. And we used to have, for about four years there, we had a, an open house Christmas Eve party where all of my friends, my sister's friends, and my brother's – my brother and like two friends. He was a bit of a stoner um, – would come and um, to the house. And my parents, all of my parents' friends, and um, Andrea Climac would play the piano. And we had a piano at our house. And we would sing carols, and we would drink. And, oh, it was so much fun. My my uh, My – Father's family would come, my mother's family would come, and it would be just a huge open house. Those thing, those nights were a blast. Well, Jane Lynch, thank you so much for thank my you so pleasure. much for taking the time and coming on the show. I just uh, so love your work, and it's such a lovely album. Oh, thank you, I appreciate it. The air is cold. It's ten below The driveway's buried under snow But winter's never cold When you're around Jane Lynch, her holiday record, which features Kate Flannery and Tim Davis, is called A Swingin' Little Christmas. Here's one more song. This is Winter's Never Cold When You're Around. But winter's never cold When you're around Father with my mittens 
when you're near Cause when I have you close You're all I need I'll never freeze No, I don't mind the chilly air Comes a blizzard, I won't care There's a cozy cure that I have found Winter's never cold when you're around That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Our show is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where, not to brag, but my range hood was delivered. Hasn't been installed yet, but it was sitting on a boat in Long Beach for three months or something. So, uh, uh, thanks, range hood. I look forward to you clearing the smoke out of my kitchen. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producer, Jesus Ambrosio. Production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is Huddle Formation, recorded by the group The Go Team. Thanks to them and to their label Memphis Industries for sharing it with us. You can also keep up with our show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post our interviews there as well. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 